Section 59 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by D. Randall. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha Von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 14, Part 4. After a few days, all became quiet again at Grommets. The soldiers quartered on us, had to march off, and Conrad had been ordered to join his regiment. Laurie Greensbaugh and the minister had already departed before. The marriage of my two sisters had been postponed till October. Both were to be married on the same day at Grommets. Prince Henry was to quit the service now that he had finished this glorious campaign in which he had earned distinction, he could easily do this and so repose on his laurels and on his estates. The partings of the two pairs of lovers were painful and joyful at the same time. They promised to write to each other every day, and the certain prospect of bliss so near made the anguish of parting seem not so severe. Certain prospect of bliss? There is, in reality, no such thing, and assuredly, least of all in seasons of war. Then misfortunes hover around, as thick as the swarms of gnats in the air, and the chances that you may be standing on a spot that will be spared by the descending scourge are at best but small. True, the war was over. That is, it had been proclaimed that peace was concluded, a word is sufficient to unchain the horrors, and thence one is apt to think that a word will also suffice to remove them again, but no spell has in reality that power. Hostilities may be suspended, and yet hostility may persist. The seed of future war is sown, and the fruit of the war just ended spreads still further in wretchedness, savagery, and plagues. Yes, no falsehood, and no not thinking of it, was any good now. The cholera was raging through the country. It was on the morning of 8th August. We were all seated at the breakfast table and reading our correspondence, which had just come by the post. The two fiancés had fastened on the love letters that had come for them. I was turning over the newspapers. From Vienna, the news was... The cholera death rate is rising considerably, not only in the military, but also in the civil hospitals. Many cases have been already reported, which must be looked on as genuine Asiatic cholera, and energetic measures are being taken on all sides to check the progress of the epidemic. I was about to read the passage aloud when Aunt Mary, who had in her hand a letter from one of her friends in the neighboring chateau, gave a cry of horror. Horrible! Betty writes me that in her house two persons have died of cholera, and now her husband is ill also. Your Excellence, the schoolmaster wishes to speak to you. The gentleman announced followed the footman into the room. He looked pale and bewildered. Count, I tell you with all deference that I must close the school. Two children were taken ill yesterday, and today they are dead. The cholera? We cried out. I think it is. I think we must give it that name. 
the so-called diarrhea which broke out among the soldiers quartered here, and of which twenty of them died, was the cholera. Great terror prevails in the village, because the doctor who came here from town has affirmed without any concealment that the horrible disease has now beyond doubt taken hold of the population of this place. What sound is that, I ask listening, that one hears? That is the passing bell, Baroness, announced the schoolmaster. Someone must be lying at his last gasp. The doctor tells us that in town, the passing bell absolutely never stops ringing. We all looked round at each other, pale and speechless. So here it was again, death. And each one of us saw his bony hand stretched out in the direction of some dear one's head. Let us flee, suggested Unmary. Flee? Whither? answered the schoolmaster. The pest has by this time spread everywhere around. Oh, far, far away, over the frontier. But a cordon will be drawn there, over which no one will be allowed to pass. Oh, that would be horrible. Surely no one would hinder people from quitting a land stricken with pestilence. Assuredly the healthy neighborhoods will protect themselves against infection. What is to be done? What is to be done? And Aunt Mary wrung her hands. To await God's will, answered my father. You are besides such a believer in destiny, Mary. I cannot understand your desire for flight. Everyone's fate finds him, wherever he is. But at the same time, I should like it better if you children could depart, and you, Otto, see that you touch no more fruit. I will telegraph at once to Bresser, said Frederick, to send on disinfectants. What happened immediately after this, I am no longer able to set down in detail, because the scene at the breakfast table was the last which at that time I entered in the red book. I can only tell the events of the next few days from memory. Fear and anxiety filled us all. Yes, all. Who, in a time of epidemic, could help trembling when living amongst those dear to him? For the sword of Damocles was always suspended over the dear one's head, and even to die oneself, so terribly and so uselessly. Who is there that such a thought would not fill with horror? The chief proof of courage consists in this, not to think about it. To flee? The idea had occurred to myself also, so as to get my little Rudolph into a safe place. My father, in spite of all his fatalism, insisted on flight for the others. The whole family were to be off next day. He alone determined on remaining, in order not to abandon his household and the inhabitants of the village in their danger. Frederick declared in the most decisive manner his determination to remain and this involved at once my decision. I would never voluntarily leave my husband. Aunt Mary, with the two girls and with Otto and Rudolph, were to depart as quickly as possible. Whither? That was not yet settled. In the first place, to Hungary, as far away as possible. The fiancés did not make any opposition whatever, but were busy in helping to pack. To die when the near future promised the fulfillment of the warm desires of love, i.e., a tenfold delight in living, would be to die tenfold. The boxes had been brought into the dining room, so that with the united assistance of all the work might go on quicker. I was bringing a package of Rudolph's clothes under my arm, 
Why does not your maid do that? asked my father. I do not know where Nettie has got to. I have rung for her several times, and she does not come, so I prefer to wait on myself. You spoil your people, said my father angrily, and he gave orders to a footman to look for the girl everywhere and bring her there immediately. After a time, the man who had been sent returned, looking confused. Nettie is lying down in her room. She is, she has, she is, well, can't you speak? thundered my father. What is the matter with her? She is already quite black. A cry burst out of all our mouths, so the horrible specter was already present in our own very house. Now what should we do? Could one leave the poor girl to die unaided? But whoever went near her brought death on himself almost certainly, and not only on himself, he spread it again more widely among the rest. Ah, uh, a house like that, into which the pest has penetrated, is like one encircled by robbers, or as if it were in flames, everywhere and in every corner and place, at every step and move, death is grinning at you. Fetch the doctor immediately, was my father's order, and you children hurry your departure. The doctor went back to town an hour ago, was the servant's reply to my father's direction. Oh dear, I feel so ill, now cried Lily, and she turned pale to her very lips and clutched at the arm of her chair. We ran to her. What is the matter with you? Don't be foolish. It is only fear. But it was not fear. There is no doubt what it was. We had to carry the poor thing to her room, where she was seized at once with violent vomiting and the other symptoms. This was the second case of cholera in the chateau in this same day. It was horrible to see my poor sister's sufferings and no doctor at hand. Frederick was the only one who could perform the duty of one as well as he might. He ordered what was wanted, warm fomentations, mustard poultices to the stomach and the legs, ice and fragments, champagne. Nothing did any good. These means, which are sufficient for slight attacks of cholera, could not save in this case but at least they gave the patient and the bystanders the comfort of knowing that something was being done. When the attacks had subsided, the cramps followed, quiverings and tearings of the whole frame till the very bones cracked. The poor thing tried to lament, but could not, for her voice failed, the skin turned blue and cold, the breath stopped. My father was running up and down, wringing his hands. Once I put myself in his way. This is war, father, I said. Will not you curse it? He shook me off and gave no reply. In ten hours, Lily was dead. Nettie, my poor lady's maid, had died before, alone in her room. We were all of us busy about Lily, and of the servants, none had ventured to go near one who had already turned quite black. End of section 59